0: This is episode 168 of the show, and it's September the 12th, 2023, as I record this. In today's interview, we have Jack Gassman, who runs Horseman of Air, an equestrian training school and medieval combat academy outside Wexford in Ireland, which he does with Alessia Pagani. Alessia does the horsemanship stuff, and Jack takes care of the swords. I interviewed them both in episode 124 of the show. Jack has now invented and published a game that is very on topic for us, so he's coming back on the show to talk about it. The game is called Force of Virtue, and that's coming up in a little bit. Since the last episode, I've been to Germany and returned unharmed. I was at Swords of the Renaissance in Potsdam, hosted by Martin Huppner and Stefan Eichelmann. Apologies if I butcher the proper pronunciation of those names. I don't really speak German at all. Although in my classes, I did... Um, say, here, schnell, meaning basically, come here, quickly, when I wanted people to gather out, and that was lots of fun. I had a great time teaching an introduction to Vadi's longsword on the Saturday, and fencing about a dozen people on the Sunday, and that's fencing a dozen people while taking careful care of my joints, because my knees have been a bit misbehaving lately. The whole experience was a delight, and yes, I did meet a few potential podcast guests while I was there, including a mechanical engineer and a professor of astrophysics. I also got to fence former podcast guest Cornelius Bertholdt for the first time. Our discussion of tempo in episode 73 remains one of the most popular episodes, and I can now confirm from getting stabbed a lot that his understanding of tempo is not just theoretical. Yes, I asked him, and yes, we can expect him back on the show in due course. I am still plugging away at two new books. The How to Write Training Manuals is sufficiently done that I've ordered a print proof, but there's a spin-off short work, about 6,000 words, on how I think historical martial arts people should present their interpretations. I'm debating whether or not to combine them or keep them separate. If you have strong opinions, do let me know. The Wrestling Book from Medieval Manuscript to Modern Practice, The Wrestling... Techniques of Fiore Delivery, Liberi, such a catchy title, is coming along nicely too. It's about ready to go to the editor, but I'm holding on to it for some reason. My gut says to hold, so I'm holding. I'm not, not sure why. I mean, technically, on paper, literally on paper, because, you know, it's a book. Um, it's ready to go to the editor, but I just don't want it to go to the editor yet. I don't know why, but I, I trust my instinct in these matters, so I'm just waiting to see what what will appear. Speaking of books, American listeners will be thrilled to hear that BookVault, the service that prints my books that are ordered through my soulschool.shop shop, shop, um, so basically the print-on-demand service that integrates with Shopify, they are now printing and shipping books in the United States. Previously, they were just printing in the UK. So this means that if you are stateside and order a book from SwordSchool.shop, it will be printed and shipped from there, saving you time and money. Hurrah! This, as yet, only applies to paperbacks, but it's a major step forwards. I'm hoping they will expand it to uh, deal with hardbacks as well. The issue, of course, is they have to find printers that can do the work to a reasonable standard and to a and with you know, reasonable reliability and a reasonable time frame and they have to figure out deals with those printers and integrate with those printers and do things. It's very complicated. And finding printers that can do decent paperbacks is relatively easy. Finding printers that can do hardbacks to the quality standards that Book Vault have been doing so far, I mean, that's rare. Honestly, they are the best hardback printers I've come across so far, which is why, incidentally, you can't get the hardback of my Duelist Companion through Amazon or Ingram Spark or that lot. I only print those through Book Vault because the quality is better. And Book Vault's distribution is not as good as, for example, Ingram's. So, while we're on this subject, um, we have now published the audio book. And I know you like audio because you're listening to this the audio book of The Windsor Method, my book on solo training. And while that was in the works, I took the time to update the book a little bit. There's nothing like reading it aloud into a microphone to highlight. Should we say, stylistic infelicities. And if there are any blacksmiths listening, yes, I did fix the annealing problem at the end of the book. I also decided to change the title and give the book a whole new look. It's now called The Principles and Practices of Solo Training, and it's got a spiffy new cover. I loved the old one. I really did. It was just, I don't know, it was just, it was exactly what I wanted. But the book simply wasn't selling as it should have done. And sometimes this kind of rebrand makes all the difference. Now, if you've already got the Windsor Method, there's no need to go out and buy this one. Unless you want the audiobook, of course, you'll have to go and order this one. If you ordered the Windsor Method from me at any point since it went live on the shop, so about a year ago, um, then we will be sending you um, an ebook version of the new one just so that you can enjoy the very, very slight editorial changes. Mostly it was, you know, a couple of, sentences rephrase a little bit of reorganization here and there but you certainly don't need to go out and buy a whole new book if you've already got it Though of course you know you're welcome to if you want to on the shop sawschool.shop we have also done a bunch of work I say we it was Katie Katie did all of it um we've done a bunch of work to make it easier for you to find what you need um, so there's a find your product section directing you to the various options and we've added difficulty levels and which weapon options uh, on the sales page of each product so you can figure out more easily which book or other thing would work best for you. Now, even if you're not currently looking to buy a book, I would appreciate any usability feedback you may have for the shop. So email me at guy at guywinsor.com to let me know what you like and what you don't about the new arrangement of sourcecall.shop. It has been quite a busy time on Sword People this last couple of weeks. We've had discussions ranging from the super practical about rash guards, which is the worst name for an item of clothing I have ever come across. But they're very useful things. So from that practical extreme all the way to the rather esoteric, a discussion about the etymology of mandrito. The marvelous Ella Hatton, known professionally as La Jaguarina, who made a name for herself by winning fencing bouts with sabers on horseback in the late 19th century, she has also made an appearance when one of the sword people on swordpeople.com discovered her and shared her to the, to the thread which introduced La Jaguarina to a new fan base of sword people. So sadly Ella herself is obviously not a member of SwordPeople.com because she hasn't been seen since 1909. But if you would like to join us, you can sign up at SwordPeople.com. Now, without further ado, on with the interview. I'm here today with Jack Gassman, who runs Horsemen of Air with Alessia Pagani, which is an equestrian training school and medieval combat academy outside Wexford in Ireland. Alessia specializes in natural horsemanship, and Jack takes care of the swords. I interviewed them both in episode 124 of the show. Jack has now invented and published a game that is very on topic for us, so he's coming back on the show to talk about it. The game is called Force of Virtue, and without further ado, Jack, welcome back.
1: Hi, thanks for having me again. Uh, It's a pleasure to be back.
0: Uh, So, I mean, I assume... No major things have changed since the last time we talked in terms of, you know, you're still in Wexford, still horses and swords and whatnot. Um, So why don't we crack on with what exactly is this game?
1: Well, so um, since I was fairly young, I've been into um, miniatures and stuff. I started with Airfix and stuff like that. And uh, I've Mm -hmm. also been interested in kind of miniature gaming and stuff. And it's it's always fascinated me. To the mechanics and of it, I mean, we didn't have any where I were when I was growing up in Kansas we didn't have like any uh real gaming close to us so we just scoured the internet for rule sets um that were free downloadable and then ended up making our own and toying with the stuff so we started very early toying with rule sets and I always found it a really interesting thing to sit down and think about how something works, why something works this way, not that way, and how to abstract it into a system that works together mm-hmm. um, and valuing trade-offs, etc. cetera. So that was always, like, from early young... I think the first one I did was, like, as eight. I called it the Meneven Convention. I thought it was very clever <laughs> as a name. Um, but then as I started doing more research into the context of HEMA... Um, rather than, and I kind of like, as I got into HEMA and started getting more active, I, I kind of, st- the miniature gaming kind of petered off. Uh, um,
0: so hang on, just, just a quick interjection. What is miniature gaming?
1: Ah, okay. Yeah, of course. So, uh, when I say miniature gaming, um, that may, if anybody's familiar with, uh, Warhammer or anything like that it's similar but on a most basic level it's you have miniature. you build yourself like a almost like a railroad uh model terrain board so it's a small field okay. down battlefield
0: so, and, so you build a model of a terrain or battlefield, yeah, battlefield
1: okay. or a yep. city or whatever and then you get little miniatures and oftentimes usually you'll paint them um because you're an esthete like that and yeah. then you have rules on, you know, moving them around, them fighting each other, what happens if one interacts with another, okay. all those kind of things. So it's, it's a bit like a, um, uh, a version of risk
0: okay. without
1: moving things between countries, um, or like, a. a so, and, and it goes
0: into a lot more detail as to the yeah. actual yeah. movement of troops and whatnot. Exactly. Uh, okay. So
1: everything goes into, there's usually rules on how fighting works, rules on how movement works, all those kinds of uh, things. One, what di- what is a victory? What is a loss? Uh, mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's an entire kind of ecosystem on how these things can work. Um, okay. and there's uh, hundreds and hundreds of different rule sets on how this works and each of them in their most core way is a statement of how the game designer understands how the, the particular conflict or whatever their wargaming works whether it's right. um, whether it's something as whimsical as you know um, stuffed toys fighting out Fighting it out uh, at night to see who you know who gets to have the best place on the shelf to you know very serious World War II simulationist games. Right, there's a, okay. a whole um, genre from fantasy to sci-fi on how these work, but all the games basically come down to an abstraction of a perceived reality and how okay. the trade-offs work in that. So it's a okay. lot of it's a, and also how to, uh, you also have to do it in a way that won't overwhelm the player. There's a lot of kind of details about it. Um, but as I started doing more research um, on kind of the context of historical martial arts, I started to try and have to think, okay, why, how did these things work together? How did they perceive reality? How did they perceive warfare working? Because just as important to how it actually works is how did they perceive it working, right? Sure. Because their perception of how it works will dictate how they train, how they prepare, uh, how they communicate about the things. And when I say warfare, I'm being very, very broad. I'm everything from small informal brawls to muggings to feuds. To skirmishes and all-out warfare, to battlefield—like how do these things work? But also, also like
0: the city of Siena attacking the city of Florence,
1: exactly with armies exactly. in the
0: field. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: There's all these kinds of different levels, and they, there's not. Re- and when you start getting into the sources, they don't really—they don't have this distinction. It all kind of rolls together and, in a fluid continuum,
0: right? Like it's—it's it's kind of strange to us. I'm reading some of these medieval sources that like skill as a swordsman was supposed to be somehow related to skill as a soldier. Exactly. When when really that's like saying skill as a pistol shot equates to skill as an infantryman. I mean, you can see there's a relationship there, but there clearly there's a whole bunch of stuff an infantryman has to be able to do that someone who's just good at shooting pistols doesn't. Yes. Like, like march long distances and then be able to fight at the end of it, for instance.
1: Exactly. You know, you know if you can't get there in at the right place at the right time with all your kit, then how good a shot you are kind of doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, as I started doing all this research to try and understand it, I, I, I kind of needed a way to um, index my research and create a working model to mm-hmm. see how it would work. Um, and if all these pieces that I'm seeing fit together in a logically coherent way, which, you know, when I write, if you write, just write it down in a paper, finding the relationships between how these things work uh, and quantifying that becomes quite, is quite cumbersome and hard.
0: Okay. Can you, this is, I'm imagining for um, a, a normally informed listener this is going to be very hard to follow because it's very abstract. Can you give us a concrete example of what you mean?
1: Okay. So, for example, a very basic question: Why would I take what? Why would I take a halberd over a pike? Okay. Um, what is the... why would you? Uh, I mean, the, the first que- the first thing would pro- is reach, right? Okay. Um, and then a a pike would, has more reach than a halberd, but a halberd has less reach, but it has a little bit, it, the cutting power involved in a halberd has the potential to create a lot more damage is one way of quantifying that and looking at it. Now there's all, of course, a lot of techniques also that you can do with halberds that you might, might not, might not be able to do with, um, uh, a pike, but there's also techniques they can do with pikes it can't really do as much with halberds so there's a right. bit you know um there's a there are those kind of interactions the other things things are like um what would be the advantage of having a more experience spending more time trying to make your troops braver versus better fencers for example what would okay. be the, you know these kind of why are they so focused on uh, why are they always in the sources talking basically about um, bravery and confidence why is um, why are things like uh, religious faith so considered so important for military fighting people at the time there's a and when you go into the different sources that you know they, they, they kind of you find hints here and there. And you start to see how these things might fit together. For example, the um, the question of kind of like religious faith in um, the uh, for fighting men of of the time or fighting people. Um, If you read uh, uh, Niccolo Machiavelli's On War, he has an interesting point on uh, that he considers if troops are more religiously devout. They are more, they have more faith in themselves and their commanders and prevailing in victory, and therefore more easily led and more confident in their actions in warfare.
0: Okay, that makes sense?
1: You know so that you know, and whether or not that is actually true, it becomes an interesting data point in how they viewed warfare.
0: Sure,
1: right? Um, so, uh or the concept let's go we can go he uh continuing with Machiavelli uh one thing that's you know integral to this this game is, is the concept of virtue or more in a Machiavellian sense virtu which he considers them different virtu is just moral strength uh and will to do things for um Machiavelli but for the rest of uh, the world at the time, there's this co- the concept of virtue. Uh, and we have, for example, also fury's four virtues of mm-hmm. a fencer, right? And yeah. How much you have those virtues defines what you can, at, what you are going to be better at as a fencer, right? Absolutely. Right? And when you go down to... Um, descriptions of combat or warfare in chronicles of the time or going back throughout the medieval period, what you find that's very interesting is they don't really care about exact armaments or dispositions or logistics in the same way that later accounts carry on about it. What they, um, like Napoleonic stuff, you know, they, they tend to talk a lot about you know, lay what, where these troops were formed up, and whose troops were where exactly, and what you know, groups were involved in the fight, and um, you know what the weather was exactly like, and this and that, um, and then morale tends to become a kind of a, a distant consideration. Uh, okay,
0: and or, this you know, contrasts with the earlier sources, in which is
1: way? they all cut. They start with you know. The character and disposition, and the more the the mindset of the troops, seem take center stage. Okay, they'll always talk about so and so, so and so's troops were stalwart in their defense, or they were audacious in the charge, or they did this or that because they did this thing because they were being overly prudent, or they did this thing because they were. Uh, uh not prudent
0: enough perhaps
1: not prudent enough perhaps exactly (laughs) you know or they were they were stoic or they weren't or they were too stoic and uh didn't leave in time etc so the mindset and the, the personalities of the commanders and the troops seems to take center stage okay and the lack, the the amount of bravery or morale, or the lack of it, tends to take center stage. It's much more focused on intangibles. Okay. Um, so
0: how does this play out in your game?
1: Yeah. So for in the game, um, it's called for force of virtue because the core thing is you have your um, officers that we call capos. They are the ones who command troops. Okay. And they have um, attack you. You use a, you you attach to them a certain amount of the four virtues. So uh, you have points of virtue for prudence, audacity, fortitude, and uh, celerity, which we say speed just for ease uh, ease for the uh, sure. reader. Um, but as when you take ac- order actions in the game, or you take actions like move or shoot or fight Mm -hmm. you spend virtue from that uh capo in order to do it
0: oh i I see so so if i have lots of boldness as a capo and i make an attack that attack is going to cost me some of my boldness
1: right so yeah so i have a i have a pool of virtue on my officer right and I can choose to use as many of that bo- of those virtues as I want to do that action. So each for each virtue I choose to take, I roll a die a dice of that kind, and then I pick the result for what I want to do based off that uh, okay. uh, out of those virtues rolled.
0: All right. So so each player has multiple capos.
1: Yes. So, so why, I- why
0: just take us through the 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 overall sort of elevator pitch for the game itself and how it's played.
1: Okay, so um, the way that the game is basically you're commanding a small warband of 1 to 15 men in the streets of Rome in 1492 as the Borgias are kind of taking over an ascendant because that okay. was the easiest place to do it and the most fun. Uh, Rome, Medieval Rome at that time is a crazy place. And you use cards to construct your warband, you choose how everything works, how many officers you have. How many troops? How much virtue the, your officers have? What they're armed with, etc. So you are doing the same thing as a medieval command uh, war ban- uh, par- um, company leader at that time, choosing the de- details of training, equipment, morale, etc., and trying to figure out how that works in the new context of warfare at the period.
0: Okay, so. Um... How, how is the, the, how are those choices limited for the player? Cause I mean, you can't just say you can have as much of any virtue as you want and all the weapons you like, there has to be some kind of yeah. restrictions.
1: So Pat. each player, um, plays the game to a certain number of cards. So a 10 card game. So, uh, on each card is a, you know, a different thing. Say three mercenaries, one knight, um, or you can take another card that would give them, uh, your mercenaries, arquebuses or uh, your knight, uh, a poleaxe, um, or extra. You, you can cards also give your capos virtue, so you can choose how much virtue they have. You okay. can also give them special rules um, for the Swiss. You know, uh, for the Swiss, you know they have lots of cards to make them better fighters. The condottieri have lots of sneaky cards, like to poison an enemy officer, so they're less effective during the battle.
0: I, are you part. suggesting that Italians are sneakier than Swiss?
1: Um, the view on warfare at the period was that Condottieri were a lot more tricksy than Swiss.
0: Swiss Yeah, were- and honestly, that, that, was, that was, I was being a little bit disingenuous there. Yes, of course they bloody were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, 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 uh,
1: the everybody, when the, the sources, when they're talking about Italians, always seem to be worried about, you know, things not being as they seem. The Swiss, it was worried about, you know, Having a whole bunch of face stompy Swiss show up on your doorstep a lot sooner than they were supposed to, and just steamroll you.
0: Because those fuckers can march.
1: Yeah, I mean that, exactly, and that's actually one of the cards that you that that is in the Swiss deck. They are upon us, which the expands this. You know, the Swiss get to uh, get a get to start closer than you would than they normally right. would because they've and, just marched so much faster.
0: And there's good reason why the Pope picked. Like the Swiss guard to guard him in yeah. the Vatican. Like, <laughs> you do not want to mess with the Swiss guard.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> um, so, like, and then, yes, so that brings us to when you construct your force, uh, you construct it to a certain number of cars and you choose which decks you want to draw from. So, for example, the Swiss deck, the Condottieri deck, the um, Landsknecht, the French... Um, uh, the Spanish and they all have kind of different advantages and disadvantages depending on what I found in the sources about
0: them okay I have a question so your nation decks are Condottieri Swiss French Spanish and Landsknecht yes. now Swiss French and Spanish are national identities but Condottiero is like a job title in Italian and Landschnecht is a job title in German so yes. why do the Germans and Italians get job titles and the Swiss French and Spanish get nationalities
1: um italian the condottieri and landsknecht are kind of uh, are private armies for hire and were are a little bit separate from how things work the the swiss how he wrote them in the decks you could argue are kind of specialized around the the more foreign rice but it we feel the Swiss deck really represents both kind of the foreign rights life and the Swiss fighting at home decently. Um, but for Condor Jerry, we also, we wanted to differentiate that from the Venetian Marines that we might be doing later on. And okay. in Germany, we hope to do decks for German free cities um the kind of lower nobility and also the german peasants rebellions so giving it okay so you're
0: leaving yourself room for more italian and more german decks
1: yeah right so i don't okay that makes sense um we might for spanish we might do a specifically conquistador deck we'll see um french i don't know um but for now that's kind of what we went with in later editions we might rename them who knows
0: Okay. Um uh so uh, now tell me about the character decks how do they work
1: yes so when we're, you're building your force you have access to the nation decks which are you know for the nation give the specific troops and everything like that but you also have kind of subcultures that show up in uh warfare of the time so you have things like um the one character deck is Dogs of War, which is kind of your dastardly mercenary types, and you see a um, a lot of accounts of mercenary bands that are just known for being both very veteran and also very brutal, um, yeah. and just fearsome and and um, and terrifying. Um, so that 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 if you add a char- that character deck to your force, it kind of gives them that flavor. Um, okay. Or you have fires of faith, which is kind of your religious fanatics, whether it's your papal guard or your Hussites or um, your kind of or your, you know, religious peasant rebellions. You have the ability to kind of go into those. Uh, And then you also have have bread to battle, which is kind of like your your um, peasant smashing knights. You have like a lot of these kind of like Bayard, a lot of these very old style. Adherers to the kind of chivalric ideals who come from a very aristocratic background and kind of profit from that in that way. And then you also have um, Renaissance Man, which is kind of like your modern humanists looking back towards um, Roman ways of warfare and also incorporating modern scientific discoveries at the same time. So it allows you to kind of give the flavors of the different kind of, uh, oh, by
0: modern scientific discoveries, you mean modern for 1492?
1: Yeah. Modern for 1492. Yeah.
0: No, no. yeah. Okay. So, um,
1: like Im- improved gunpowder, um, kind of, uh, and, um, more, uh, also kind of better education, um, Ability to speak more languages, etc., which might come in handy accomplishing yeah. certain objectives, etc.
0: So, how how does the game actually play? What yeah. do you do? So you
1: you choose your 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 what we call a warband um, uh, out of the cards, and then you choose a mi- you uh, you generate a mission to play, and usually there's an objective you're trying to achieve. Like um, what? Yeah. Could be disable a can, uh, destroy a cannon while it's disabled, um, or convince some uh, um, someone to open a open a door, or in Renaissance Rome hang on. silence convince
0: someone yeah, convince someone to open a door.
1: Right for uh, for example, um, let's say a mayor. Uh, you're trying to gain access to a town, and you want to convince oh, okay. the mayor to open a o- you know, or you know you are trying to convince a servant to open the back door so you can go in and ransack his master's house. Okay, you know, so it operates at all sorts
0: of skills. different scales. So you, you could be yeah. doing, like, house robbery, or you could be taking over the Castel San Angelo and putting the Pope under pressure.
1: Yeah, right? So they, they're all very okay. kind of like... Um, but it's all very small-scale. So it, depending... It's all very kind of commando-raidy, the small-scale warfare that you do find a lot in, in, in sources of the time. Okay. Um, small groups doing things. Um, and it could be any, something very small and very silly. It could be an artist trying to recover um, a piece, uh, an art piece that uh, his patron hasn't paid for yet. Um, ah, okay. You know, which, which, which is one of the accounts that you do find. Uh, sure. <laughs> or uh, a cardinal trying to take an art piece that he doesn't want to pay for um which you find in cellini's autobiography so it you know they it it, it scales to a lot of these different kind of levels that you that you want to represent which was important to me so
0: So the player the player will come up with these scenarios and then use your gaming mechanics to play through the scenario is that exactly
1: Right. So there's in the the rule book, there's a little there's a little table with where you can roll up different objectives and different ways you might be deploying and where the objective might be. And then you come up with the narrative of it or you come up with a scenario or an idea that you want to try and then you play it through.
0: Okay. And so what you're actually selling the customer is some cards and a book to tell you how to play them to basically create any kind of small unit adventurous game play that you like in yep. that sort of period. Yeah. Okay, so so it's extremely versatile.
1: Oh yes. Yeah, so as we wanted it really cool. to really yes. Yeah,
0: over. just just to be clear, my only, my only experience of game design is being involved in um, creating Audacia, where it's not it's not at all adaptable like that it is you are this individual person and you play this sword fight with this other individual person and that's it the, the game is very constrained in that way and okay you can use it for all sorts of other things like some people use it when they're doing dnd for example so rather than rolling dice to have a fight they do a game of Audacity to have a fight because it's more fun um, but it's in in its in its fundamental structure it is it is a constrained set Whereas what you're talking about is a much less constrained set. Yes. Yeah.
1: So it's, Excellent. A, okay. little, it's a little bit of, um, of a hybrid between um, something like D&D and, uh, uh, you know, and what you might know as a traditional war because it's very narrative. You can interact with objectives okay. or things around
0: you. Um, is there a games master? Or no. A, the equivalent no, of a so dungeon that, master. Okay. So, yeah. so, the rules so you don't need like one run. person running it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's there's just two, you know, it's just you against an opponent, an opponent like chess. Um, okay. And the the cards allow you to bring in that uncertainty and arbitrate things a bit more, um, which adds a bit of a, a, a some issues for the designer because you don't have someone to arbitrate. You have to be a bit more compa- uh, careful in what you can and yeah. you can't do because you don't you can't have uh, allow for there to be conflicts or uncertainties. Um, right. But yeah, so you're playing through this mission and you're trying to, and you both, as you're creating your warbands, usually you come up with some kind of fiction for your warband. band. you know, these are, uh, you know, uh, any, this is the, uh, we're the, my warband are the brothel guards for, you know, a Borgia brothel and they're off, you know, tying up loose ends to prevent scandals or, you know. (laughs) yeah. Okay. You know, wh- however wacky you want, or it could be very hard-nosed. We're, um, you know, we're the chosen men of a conditieri um, company off to do commando raids and take out cannons and do this or that. You know, uh, okay. you can make it, a, you can be as, you know,
0: sure. as a so adventurous as you are. Yeah, and you're expecting the players to build themselves an arena and make and paint the... Do you, do you provide the actual miniatures, or no? No, make- no,
1: there's um, there's, there's a, a uh, the Perry min- Perry Brothers who used to do um uh very uh sculpting for like companies like Games Workshop do excellent fifteenth century miniatures, and you can actually um build the miniatures to have um uh, correct longsword guards and everything, and they're all very oh, well research oh they're brilliant so you can get a packet of them for like 25 quid and that's enough to make two or three war bands so um we just um, i see handling that so um sure. then okay. you, you 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 paint them and and you build it and that's that's part of the fun in itself you know building your own like right. miniature version of the streets of rome or you can just play it on a D mat however you want but yeah, so you, you you create you use those decks to kind of create the war band you want. Maybe it's a, a Swiss, and you can combine the nation decks too. So maybe it's a Swiss French combined force that's of um, of religious fanatics, you know, or <laughs> okay. or it's Swiss dogs of war and fires of faith. So they're you know Swiss, they're gritty, experienced Swiss papal guard who have found religion and gone nuts. You know, there's you know there's a lot of Flexibility in how you do
0: things. Joe, you know I think I, I know what I would do. I would take my band to Florence and I would use them to rescue Botticelli's artworks from the fires of Savonarola.
1: Yes, actually, considering it's June, I I, I almost wanted to do. I, I'm I'm considering on doing a um uh, releasing a free war band, just kind of with the card built out of the cards for the confrontation between uh, Savonarola and the. Um, and the uh, Florentine homosexual society that, that that brought him in that brought him into, brought him down because it was finally them who said enough was enough, so I thought that would that would be right. a be a great ca- uh, scenario to do. I might I might do that, um, but yeah, what, but, for, pride, know, ask- for Pride Week next
0: year, do a do a this is this is how the homosexuals destroyed the bigoted son of a bitch who burnt all the paintings.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, um, because that, you know they they, they mu- when they marched in, they they probably didn't do it uh, without weapons. Um, no, definitely
0: not. Not not in not in Florence in the late fifteenth century. You, no, you wouldn't get you know, very that, far no. without weapons.
1: That would be a you know that that um, that would make an that would be that those are the kind of scenarios that you can play that I wanted this game to be able to go through you know rescuing you know it could be butter as i say rescuing Botticelli's artwork that makes a great campaign in of its in of in and of itself because also what you do with the games is the cards as you win objectives in game you add cards to your warband so it gets stronger
0: right so, okay
1: so that's that's one of the important things about it. And as you, um, because you have the object in the game, you have the objective you're there to do, which if you win that, you get a victory point. And for every victory point, you get a card to add to your warband. But you also get a victory point if at least 50% of your force survives the encounter.
0: Uh, okay, so, that's heavy.
1: Right, so, um, and then you also, uh, if you retreat before you lose 50% of your force, you still get that victory point.
0: Right, so, okay. So, prudence also, is it, rewarded.
1: Yes. So, if you, you, you need to make realistic decisions about, you know, when is it, when is the, uh, you know, the cost not worth the reward. Yeah. Um, because that's one thing that, that, that a lot of war ban, uh, war games treat your, your troops running as this kind of, this nuisance. Yeah. Um, and in, in, in the game, if, if you run out of virtue, because as you, in the game, as you take damage, as people get hurt or people get killed, you, you, the virtue on your officers gets what we call burnt, meaning it's no yep. longer available to you until you rally it back. So if you're all out of virtue, your troops automatically run, but you can also choose to leave to preserve your troops. And that, that's an important part of the m- kind of mental mathematics of warfare at the time. You, you It's not a knockdown drag out fight until the last man. You need to stay capable of, uh, of fighting until uh, for the next battle. You know, if you lose all your yeah. men, you know, that's investment yeah. on a, on a very like hard nose level. And also it's, nobody's going to follow you if you always get people killed.
0: Yep. Very true. Okay. So yeah. now when, when I created Audacia, the single most common comment I got was, oh, that's so cool, which is nice. But the second most common comment I got was, oh, I had an idea for a sword fighting card game too. And so my experience has been that lots and lots of people have the idea and very few people actually execute. So how did you execute on this game? You had the idea, you were working on it as part of your historical martial arts research. How did you take it from an idea and some scribblings on paper to something people could actually buy?
1: Well, so yeah, um, uh, a long process with a lot of mistakes. Um, sure. So it's That's always the way. The, me and my brother. Do, yeah. So, and I should also point uh, say that you know this was not a solo thing. This was me and my brother doing it. Um, he's right. he's currently in the military in some top secret location in the Swiss mountains. So.
0: He's unavailable
1: okay. for comment. Um, so, <laughs> but we, we we play we play tested it together um, for a, for quite a while. Um, I've been working on this since two thousand twelve. Okay. Um, so we and just chipping away and adding stuff from my research, and um, we play tested it. Got the basic stuff. Started adding things. The virtue idea. Act, adding the virtues actually came back on the way back from Hemac Florencia in 2014 but um around the um at the start of lockdown i kind of um i I showed it to a few people and they'd all been like yeah yeah you really should pro- publish this i was like okay but that's a lot of work and it then is. during lockdown over lockdown i uh i decided to do it um and like why not and then just started Playtesting with a bunch of pe- bunch more people over, um, over kind of online uh, tabletop simulators like Roll Twenty, etc. And you know, then we went okay, there really is something here, um, and we started iterating on it. I started making a, um, writing the rule book. Um, then we started. Uh, we made the card layout in um, Google Docs. Which was okay. a bad yeah. idea, but we did it anyway.
0: That's true. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, you know, uh, Google Docs drawings. Um, we made it work. Um, we are now going to have to redo more than three hundred card files. They, you, when you look at them, you don't really realize that they look that they were made in Google Docs, which is for okay. the best. But the yeah. mistake, the uh, the so it, it works actually. On a, on a visual level it works the problem is that each card is an individual file and needs to be altered individually
0: okay so, so hang on Pe- are people are, anything, are, are, are people making are people buying physical cards or are they buying things to yeah, print they're, out they're,
1: they're all physical cards so they're print, okay. they're, print they're printed cards so, okay um, we you know we we, we, uh, we solved all the we long story short we brought in one of my co instructor who's a graph graphics designer uh to fix the mistakes that I the, the dumb stuff that we did. Um okay. bless his heart. Uh, um but uh a lot of thing a lot of things got went wrong, got fixed, did it did it differently. We um for um there's a lot of rules tweaking that we did. Um for the we brought in um James Hewitt, who is the designer on a couple of major Games Workshop games, um, to help kind of review the rules and, 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 and do, mm-hmm. do help with rewrites and stuff. So we brought in some professional help there as well. And um, we were doing it. One of the playtesters was um, Jay Maxwell from Tempest Fugitives. And he's asked, base, like, do you, would you like us to publish it, Tempest Fugitives? Okay. And... We and we thought so about that, it. So is that a games company? And we said, yeah.
0: So it's, it's Tempest no, Fugitives. No, Tempest Fugitives.
1: It's It's, um, Temp- it's also known as Tempest Swords. It's a HEMA gear manufacturer
0: that also does books. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering why so, I haven't heard um, of them.
1: Um, yeah, the, I mean, they do a lot of really good, good stuff. Um, uh, they do excellent, okay. gor- um, gorges and stuff like that, but yeah, so they, um, they publish a lot of, uh, a lot of HEMA books uh, so, and Jay is a very good fencer, does bolognese and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or bolognese, I should say, I should be, um, but anyway, um, so yeah, he, he offered to print, uh, to publish it. So we, um, we finished, you know, finished it up. We did a kind of a bit of a launch. In March, at a small castle here in Ireland, we did a bit of a a uh, a um, event for the people who had helped major people who had helped playtest it. That was our kind of last little tweaks, and then okay. we launched at Salute, which is a big games con in England, uh, end of April.
0: Cool. Okay. Excellent. Um, so, so you got basically you hired some professional help to kind of tweak the rules and you've got someone who knows about graphic design to do your card graphics and then this company tempest swords or tempest fugit um they actually did the publishing for you yes okay that's very sensible i mean that would have saved us an awful lot of work if we'd done that with Audacia, but there wasn't there wasn't really anyone offering to publish it for us so we went and did it ourselves and yeah it was an absolute nightmare but yeah, I, I, I
1: can imagine, I can imagine there was a, there was a lot, there was still a lot of, um, I mean, big, they, they were all, all fairly small stuff, uh, operations that were helping anyway. So there were still, you know, issues and there were a lot of teething issues, but, um, that's one reason why we didn't go with a Kickstarter. Um, we right, wanted to go okay. straight publishing because we wanted, we might do a Kickstarter in the future. In fact, the next decks that we are doing are probably fencing master decks, which by the time right, this is released, okay. we might be going into a, a, a Kickstarter on. So we're probably doing at least Fiori, Lichtenauer and the Bolognese, a Dar- darty school as character decks that you can add to your warband to kind of show okay. that they have been trained under those, um, under those uh, schools.
0: Do, do you expect but, um, those to actually result in sort of, what's the best way to put it? Do, do you expect that to create um, a situation in which, for example, your opponent has a Lichtenauer person and you have a Fiori person and then they interact in a way that actually represents those systems? Or is it more yes. represents sort of I mean, that's spirit the spirit exact- and style of those systems?
1: I mean, that, that is the design goal, that, that they interact in, way, in ways that is consistent with the
0: traditions.
1: If they don't, then I've done okay. a bad design job. Um,
0: okay. but, uh, but if you're not if you're not actually prescribing individual sword strikes, how do you make that work?
1: So, I I guess I'll go into um go go into the how combat works in the game. Um, okay. So, you know, we go with, we went back. Um, you have as the basic concept of the game that you have um, actions which is how many actions in a, uh, a model can do in a round. And a round is basically from uh, the game works in rounds. So during over a round, you take an action with some of your troops, then I take an action, and then you take an action, and then I take an action until both of us have done as many actions as we can. And then both, uh, both of us pass and the new round begins. An action okay. actions is how many uh, times that specific model can take an action over a round. Um, faith is how many time ty- how many virtue dice it can use over a round. So it could say do one movement action with four dice, um, or it could do say if it has a faith of four, it has it can do a one movement action with four dice. Or it could do two movement actions um, with one with two, both with two virtue dice. So you can you have to decide okay. where where you lay your uh, you know, how you divvy well, well, up your dice.
0: But what has this got to do with the differences between Fiori and Longsword and Lichtenauer and Longsword? Just to take two examples.
1: Well, because how each uh, system focuses on either improving, focuses on improving how much virtue, the bravery, the ability to do specific things, um, or clever ways to multitask and split your attention because in the co- combat you decide to either put dice into attack or dice into defense. So you're always, okay. as you're fencing, you're always... Um, D- dividing attention between offense and defense
0: okay right so how does that so, how does that how do you distinguish between because fiore does that and now does that so how do yeah.
1: you just dis- those, so, those aren't I mean, different
0: between those systems
1: no 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 that, that that's core that work that's that how you divvy up between uh, yeah. divvying up attention between attack and defense is how yeah. combat works in this game wherever because that's okay. a universal of combat yeah, yeah, yeah. how you deal with that and how, what, where you lay your strengths and weaknesses, are kind of, di- um, is how a system works. Currently, what we're looking at, I mean, the the both decks are currently still in development. They're not really finished yet, but currently the okay. the w- way Lichnauer is shaping up at the moment is it's much more focused on creating. Um, People who are good at specifically at using long swords, okay. in and out of armor, um, and doing single actions that are very powerful, that are very strong, but can also go very wrong. And okay, um, but and they're not, and there's not a, as much of a focus on improving the overall stats. It's just very complex, technical things that are kind of fragile. Fiori, and there's not many fo- much focus, uh, there's in the deck, there's, each deck has a Fencing Master card or two and a Student card. The sw- the, the card currently has, you know, at the moment, an Initiate, um, whereas the Fiori deck has Knights that are studying under, under the Fiori Master. So you can bring Knights with you. The Fiori deck has a lot more different options as far as um, hidden techniques that might come out. Um, okay. and for example, because it has to be in there, his, uh, his pepper spray poleaxe. Okay. Um, his extendable poleaxe. Yeah, with the, with, uh,
0: the uh, with the rope tail thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 The, um, the mixed, uh, longsword poleaxe is all, is also in there. Um, he has the, bit. Is, uh, he has a, enhanced abilities to get through armor with Abrazzare. Um, some of them do. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he has and the the different specific thing uh, different ways to use specific virtues in Joco Largo, Joco um, Stretto. He as he attack as you you can use that card to basically instead of just generating one hit that your opponent has to roll an armor save on, you can generate two hits. Because one thing that Fury often does in Jogo Stretto is he both di- he both both disarms and stabs you. He both kicks yeah, yeah. I mean, and thrusts
0: you.
1: You know he's always yeah. creates a two pronged threat, right? Whereas so it's about generating more threats, more things that can go wrong. Gioco Largo is a little bit more tricky, but keeping you safe at the same time. Um, the uh,
0: so what I'm getting from this is it's your your sort of impression of the systems is is what's creating the differences in the deck rather than specific technical differences between the systems.
1: No, no, yeah. You, you can't go into specific strikes as uh, much. That's There's, what I was
0: thinking, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, so it also depends a little bit. We did have... We, I've had a brilliant idea.
0: I I've had, we we, yeah. should, we should do a collab. Right? Because I've got Lichtenauer decks for my Audacia game. So if people want to do that, they can play this game yeah, and then I when mean, they get definitely- to the point where they're having a sword fight, if you've got a fury deck you get, I don't know, Galeatza you for can- example and if you've got yeah, a Lichtenauer you can- deck, you've got Nicodemus and you can...
1: Yeah, yeah. You could start. You could start. The, right. I could start the game with a with a duel between the two between the two masters, and sure. then however that, and then the every all the war ban, the war bands pile in outside after it. That would definitely that would yeah. definitely be fun. Or a judicial duel, and then the judicial duel spills over. Um, yeah, yeah. So that I mean that that um, so yes, it's it's a little bit more abstracted and impressionistic, which you have to kind of do a little bit at this level because you're dealing with you know multiple people and um, I don't if it was a role playing game I might go into in a straight role playing game I might go into individual strikes but honestly at the at the level it is I th- there's other things that go yeah, it's on not because practical. also yeah it's not practical and you also don't have the information that you know how which which weapon you which attack you choose specifically or which technique you specifically choose is questions of momentum, angle, timing, relative distance. It's there's information that you would be asked to be making decisions about that you just don't have at that level of abstraction. Right. Right? Yeah. Even yeah. even in a computer game, so much of what you choose has much more to do with sensory um, feedback on momentum or force than it does about just your visual feedback. Yeah. So okay. if you're, if there's two static little statues on a table that are an inch tall, you have none of that. <laughs> you can't generate that. That's why the uh, the combat is abstracted to the level of you know how much uh, focus are you putting on defense versus offense because that's a question of you know the angle of your attack, the the timing, the distance you're launching from. All those different things are questions of. Of, um, offense versus defense. How you hold okay. the sword even is a question of you know optimizing for offense or defense. Sure. Um,
0: so okay, so so the game's been out. Okay, we're talking on twelfth of June, twenty twenty three, and the game's been out since April. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so how are the players responding to it?
1: Um, very good. Um, it's it's fairly small a niche, so when we get something, well, yeah. we tend to have- <laughs> We tend to catch them, um, we've gotten a lot of critical response, at the moment, um, the, uh, the smaller decks have come out, uh, the, the decks themselves have come out, but we're also um, shipping a, uh, a starter box, and a lot of people have bought the starter box, but we've been having to wait for a couple tokens and few things to arrive to ship the, the starter box. Um, okay. So those should be shipping out next week, and that's where a majority of the players have, you know, put put things. But we've also had a lot of interest from uh, different YouTube channels that might be doing stuff on us. Um, uh, places uh, various kind of industry magazines there's been a lot of interest in it it's just one of those things that takes a little bit of uh, of time to develop also just by the fact that i sure. think if someone's starting to collect they uh, they start start by painting up their miniatures and doing all that so that takes a bit of time to do uh, of course to do yeah you know so um, but they, so th- we're watching now as people kind of build up their own uh, their war bands and stuff like that we just actually this weekend had a um, uh got invited to do demo games at a um con in Rome that one of our players went and presented the game at and a lot it was very it was uh there's a a great response from the people there because of course it's set in this edition is set in Renaissance Rome um yeah. we we may, we'll, we'll branch out um this it's just this current edition we may hopefully we'll now be mo- after this we'll branch out to um War of the Roses uh mm-hmm. kind of Germ free cities, Germany, the larger, larger Italian wars rather than just kind of skirmishes in Rome itself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, so far there's been a lot of, um, a lot of response, kind of like a, a, a slow kind of build up, which is usually how these things work.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So I'm, one thing that, because I don't do miniature skirmish gaming, I've never done it. So the the lead time of people buying the miniatures and painting them to become ready to play the game. That seems like an awful lot of investment for someone to make, but I'm guessing that if they make, if they get those, those, um, period characters from that place, you said, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and they've painted them, then they can use those same miniatures to play lots of different kinds of games if they're set in the same oh, period. Oh,
1: yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's the painting and and building terrain. Like, everybody has their own different approach to, to the hobby. You know, some people sure. are fine with playing p- with pennies on the floor and, bookca- and, and book- stacks of books. Other people really want that, you know, uh, really enjoy painting up the miniatures in detail and creating the... Yeah. You know the the landscapes and stuff. So it re- it really depends how people want to do it. And you know, um, for a lot of people, the painting is just as much part of the hobby as the gaming.
0: Sure. yeah, I have a friend who lives sort of around the corner from here, and I'm currently helping him because I used to be a cabinet maker. I'm helping him build. Basically, he's converting his garage into a place with these special tables where he can create these scenario places. Yeah. For yeah. this sort of gaming, so yeah, so yeah, my, my 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 level of involvement is basically well, I've helped build tables to put these things on. No, um, I mean,
1: yeah, no, it, I mean, it's it, it's it's its own thing. Um, sure, and uh, it's a I I don't get to do I only I had almost almost kind of bowed out of the hobby a little bit for a long time before this doing this has kind of dropped dragged me back into it. Um, painting has our painting miniatures I always enjoyed it was always kind of like a little bit of a, a time for me to switch off um, and get away from things.
0: Um, sure. Okay a question just occurred to me right you've put in a yep. huge amount of research, huge amount of work and uh, you now have the game is actually there and it's playable and you can actually play it with the proper stuff okay yeah which is I know from experience that that is extremely satisfying. Um, I'm curious though what? is your sort of overarching goal for this project. Uh, So what will success look like?
1: Um, For me, um, I I would love to see this um, be self-sustaining enough to go into a lot of different areas of, you know, the medieval uh, Renaissance Europe at this time and kind of create a little bit of a, you know, a, a bank so we can hopefully, you know, get to things like doing... The piracy in the Mediterranean, etc. So that there's that side of it where I get to just explore and re- and it it kind of feeds and funds the the research for doing more stuff and kind of indexing more things and adding it to the pile. Um, there's also just the aspect of seeing how um, my if some of my theories on how things work. Uh, in medieval warfare if those match the sources as people play it more if that's really what what those things mean and if maybe i get more insights from watching what people come up with based on the 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 theories that i've put into the game um and then there's also just the fact that i'd love to see this become a way for hema people for people who maybe aren't normally interested in the context of he fencers who maybe find it hard to get into the idea of concept and understand uh, the context and understand it um, to kind of get more into the context and see where these. Uh so, so like a
0: gateway drug for, for reading the history. Yes. Excellent. Okay. And it just occurred to me that once you have your game mechanics, then there's nothing stopping you setting the game in, for example, warring States period, Japan or China or africa or india or wherever else so you could those the you know, people who are into for example japanese martial arts might might take these mechanics and create a japanese version of the game yeah i mean that that would
1: be great i i would be i've thought of that before i i, I would want to talk to someone who actually understands warring states japan a little bit better not because yeah, i course. don't I, not because I don't think that the mechanics would be able to represent it well, but because the mechanics are just as much based on a medieval understanding of how the world works. That's a okay. very medieval
0: European
1: concept which, of reality.
0: Which may not translate.
1: Which, if I wanted to... I would much rather see a, a game take up that space that was an equally interesting analysis of how warring states Japan understood warfare to work.
0: Right, okay. Yeah. Can you just so, see what I mean? I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could just stick it in Japan and change the names and stuff and sort of make it work, but what you'd be more interested in is someone who really understands, like, the mindset behind the warriors of the period and how they would think about it. And then basically yeah. rebuild the game from that perspective.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, okay. although we, although we've used the four virtues of fury, um, they're a little bit much, they're more, in a way more stand in for the four humors. Okay. Right. Because I mean, yeah. the four humors are a bit odd to, to uh, when you say them, they don't make as much sense as prudence, humor, uh, prudence, audacity, <laughs> fortitude, you know, <laughs> yes.
0: Although, you know, a very choleric or a very phlegmatic general will have very yeah. different effects on, on the disposition of their troops.
1: Exactly. But it's much easier for players to wrap their heads around, I'm using prudence to move, which means if yeah. I get a crit success, I will be able to, to use, uh, I'll get um, a, a cover save. Um, or and if I make, have a crit fail, I'll move away. It's much easier to say that than, you know... Um, uh, phlegmatic i know phlegmatic isn't but yeah you know it's much easier to for them to grasp those uh, okay sure. if i move with audacity and i crit fail my troops will run straight forward or if i crit succeed they will uh, they might have a chance of scaring the opponent you know those kind of things are easier to grasp and yeah that's the idea sure. that you know depending on what points of those virtues that officer has, he will command, his, tr- his troops will be complete, very different and do very different things well, right? They can all do the same things, yeah. but what they excel at and the kind of mistakes they will make will depend on the personality.
0: Right, okay. So I guess uh, the really critical, important question that I should have asked you earlier on is, where do people go to buy the game?
1: Um, you can find, so go to masterstrokegames.com. And okay. you can find more information. Um, you can find a free tutorial campaign that you can play out, and print just print out and play to get a handle on the game if you want to. Um, and then there's links on that website to Tempest Sword slash Force of Virtue where you can buy the decks themselves. But you can at Masterstroke Games you can find you know. Um, information and uh, free things to try out, and also um, once you, if you, you can also buy a PDF of the rulebook and then print out some free, some free uh, uh, kind of card forces to try things out with. Um, okay. So before you, you commit you
0: know, to to, to yeah. buying the whole thing, yeah, that's a good way yeah. to do it.
1: Yeah, and uh, anyway, it's 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 a fairly um, as far as war games go, it's, it's not very. Uh, it doesn't take much to get into it. You can either get um you could, if you want to be cheap about it you could get one nation deck, and the uh one nation deck and the PDF of the rules for under twenty five quid. Um, okay. Or we or if you want to you know dive in for two play, we have a two player starter set with all the tokens, special dice, five um five decks because you also have the scenario deck which allows you to do things like, oh that 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 uh that building is actually a crumbling ruin and it's raining so your guns are less effective add th- those kind of things in so the starter box has the scenario deck uh two nation decks and two character decks in it with all the kind of um tokens etc on top of that for for a hundred so you split that with a friend it's 50 each and then you have all the kind of deluxe options
0: in it excellent Alrighty. well thanks so much for joining me today jack it's been nice talking to you again Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jack. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this episode. While you are there, you can sign up for my mailing list, and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Person's Care Package. This includes 4 ebooks and access to several of my online courses. And remember, go to swordpeople.com to join the only troll-free online community for Sword People. And just a reminder that the new edition of The Principles and Practices of Solo Training, formerly known as the Windsor Method, is available at swordschool.shop. And if you are in America, you can get the paperback at least printed and shipped to you in America. So it's cheaper and better for everyone. Marvellous. Swordschool.shop for all of your fencing book needs. Well, maybe not all of them. If you're into, I don't know, German longsword or uh, smallsword, I haven't done a smallsword book yet and so on, but you know, Swordschool.shop, still a great place to go. And I would like your feedback about the usability upgrades that we've made to the store. And of course, I would like to thank the people who make this show possible, my patrons on Patreon. It takes time and money to run a podcast, and without them, I would have quit a long time ago. You can join us at patreon.com forward slash theswordguy for behind-the-scenes content to suggest future guests and priority access to my inbox. That's patreon.com forward slash theswordguy. And as ever, I need to thank Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents that adorn the show originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defense audiobook project. Join us next time when I'll be talking to Dr. Rachel Whitbread, who is a historian and author. Her PhD from York University was on tournaments, jousts, and duels. She's the co-author, with Graham Callister, of Battle, Understanding Conflict from Hastings to Helmand and she is currently working on a book called Dual, Single Combat in Medieval England. We discuss, among other things, the Order of the Round Table, the Garter King at Arms, and what the seven Frenchmen did with the seven Englishmen in 1402. So this is very, very, very much on topic for this show. Make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really helps. Most importantly, of course, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends, however that makes sense to you. Email them a link or put it on Facebook or wherever else you like. A personal recommendation is an awful lot more persuasive than just a review on the site from somebody you don't know. So if you've enjoyed the show, share it with your friends. Thanks for listening and I will see you next time.